Welcome to this episode of the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Barnado, and today's guest is Trenton Carson, who is the owner and president of TC Productions. I met Trenton last year at a Buckhead Business Association event, and we struck up a conversation. I really liked his journey, uh, as he told me a little bit about going from college, studying film production, to um, you know working for others in a, in a company just starting out, and then finally just taking the plunge and starting his own business. So uh, I really found some value in my conversations, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about his journey. So welcome to the podcast, Trenton. Uh, thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Yeah, likewise, man. And uh, I'm going to apologize in advance since you are an expert in video production. Uh, hopefully this sound will, will be up to your standards, but we'll go for there. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, we met last year at a, at a speaking event, one of my friends was doing. Um, you and I sat down at the same table and just kind of did some small talk networking. Um, you told me a little bit about what you're doing with, with video. And, and um, you know, obviously with 2020, there's a lot happening. But I want to kind of start with your background, man. So, like, where'd you grow up? Where'd you start out? So I grew up in Joliet, Illinois. It's about 30, 45 minutes uh, outside of Chicago. Depends on how fast you're driving. <laughs> and um, yeah, I went to high school, high school, elementary, all that there. And just, I learned a lot um, growing up um, there. You just, it, it was different. And to, to say the least is that I was very involved in my community but you didn't feel too much like being an outsider there. So it, it really, really, my high school, it really separated. If you really want to learn, you could get a good education. But if you was a slack off, you was going to fall off you know, of the system. So yeah. you really had to be focused. So it sounded like you were an active learner um, with just about everything that you were involved in. Yes, yes. And the thing was with me, if I'm interested in it, I am going to excel in it. If I'm not then I was going to do poorly. So it, it was it was weird, especially um, growing up, that on, on the same report card, I can get A's and F's <laughs> on, yeah. on one report card. And it was just night and day. But if I was really engaged, mm -hmm. I'm going to be an A student. And if I wasn't, if, and it wasn't saying I was a bad student. It just, if I couldn't connect to the material or the teacher couldn't connect to me, I just wasn't that great at it. I think a lot, a lot of us can relate to that. I know I was the same way. I, I love to learn, mm -hmm. but when someone else is telling me, Hey, you're going to learn, you know, 1800s, you know, British literature, you know, that's mm -hmm. not something I'm really going to be using a whole lot. So I really didn't have a, a passion for that. So yeah, those are the types of classes that I struggle in. And I think, um, you know, you, you sounds like you were no different, but if you had that spark or that interest, what, tell me some of the things that you were doing in high school. Were you involved in anything, any activities or sports? Yes. Um, I, I tried out for um, football. I didn't play as much, but I was on the team. Um, I was on, I did track. I did track all four years. And so our coach was saying, made us do football for over, for you can have all season conditioning pretty much. And so, which was, it helped me in my track career. Um, football, I was just there just to work out. Um, I, I was in the band. Uh, I did ROTC. Um, I, I was probably as involved as I could be um, in high school. Yeah, just those, just those four items right there. I mean, some people, that's all they do. So if mm -hmm. you split that out, that's pretty amazing. What instruments did you play? I played the flute and saxophone. All right. Woodwind section. <laughs> exactly. And, and ROTC, at our high school, we had Air Force ROTC. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it was in Mount Juliet. So we had we had uh, Army ROTC, and the reason why I joined that is because uh, over over PE 
was the fact that when we was, you know, in eighth grade, they, the high school come over and say, hey, choose your electives and this, all the stuff they had. When they told me about Army ROTC, they was talking to me about a rifle team and we get to shoot live ammunition in the school. And I was like, well, I never really shot a rifle or a gun and I can play basketball anytime. So I was uh -huh. like, sign me up. And eventually uh, I made the cadet team, the color guard team, and I made the rifle team. And wow. so I named my uh, rifle Old Betsy. It was a it was a one shot twenty two, but I, I loved it. You know, it it was it was an experience I knew I wasn't gonna get unless I went forward and got it. That's great. And so, tell me about uh, your parents or siblings. Um, did they play a role in in uh, what you got into or support or involvement? Uh, yes, they did. Like my um, so I got. It's me, my brother, my sister. We all, you know, in band. My brother, me and my brother, ten years apart. Me and my sister, sixteen months apart. Okay. But she played orchestra. He did bands. He did everything I did. And my my parents, they didn't like a steel house. It was one of those nuclear households where the, my father worked and my mom was a stay at home mom. So I mean, you couldn't ditch because where was you gonna go? Mm -hmm. Couldn't go home because she was there. Couldn't go to the mall because she might have been there. So <laughs> you stayed in school. Um, but they always encouraged us doing something. So every summer, every winter, it was sports, it was basketball, it was baseball, it was swim lessons. And I was like, well, I don't want to do any of that. Well, you're doing something. It was one time I took ice skating lessons. So we was always constantly doing something. We always stay engaged, so we always stay active. And I think that played a pivotal role because you see a lot of kids that if they're getting to – if they're bored, they'll find something to do. Mm -hmm. So if your parents set you out on something to do, you don't have time to be bored. So I, I remember where, you know, kids were um, saying, hey, you know, after school, let's go hang out here. I can't. I got practice. I got this. I got that. Yeah. Well, after this, we're going to do this. Or I'm hanging out with this group. Well, I really can't do that. I got practice. I got this. So I was too busy to get in trouble. Yeah. Well, and it kind of builds some discipline, too, where you don't mm -hmm. have all the time in the world. And so you have to sort of time box some of your – your things, whether it's school or it's band or it's track um, or it's working or doing something else. Um, yeah, we, we kind of instilled that with my kids. And I remember, um, you know, growing up as well. I mean, we're kind of like, especially I, I can't speak for girls, but boys were like puppies. You know, if you're bored, you're going to get into something. You're going to yep. be breaking stuff. So if you're, uh, you know, if you can run that puppy hard enough and they come back and they, <laughs> they get to the house, they just sleep. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's usually a pretty healthy situation. So. Well, good, man. So thinking in high school, uh, what was your next step? What do you think? Were you thinking military? Were you thinking college? Were you thinking something else? I was I was thinking more military than college because I was in ROTC. Right. I was, you know, like every, every 16, 17 year old, I just want to get out the house. And so um, I was like, okay, well, if if college is not going to be there, maybe the military, you know, something that'll get me out. But I didn't, you know, getting out the house, you know, you didn't have any resources. So you have to be kind of kind of smart about it. So I really, really thought about it. I thought of going to uh, uh, West Point. I really thought about that. But what happened when I was around 15, um, it was two things happened around that time. I saw the movie The Matrix, and I was like, man, this is amazing, the graphics and all that stuff going on. And also in my African-American heritage class, we had to do this project. And it's to pick a college and do research on it. Um, I happened to pick Southern Illinois University, and I found out they had a film program there. And so that's where it started to grow. And then when it got towards the end of my uh, my high school career, 
I'm trying to decide where to go. And I remember I looked up uh, SIU and they had a film program. And I was like, okay, well, I like film, but I never really, I didn't do anything with the AV club at the high school. So, but I tinkered around with the camcorder that we had at the house. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is something interesting. So let me apply and see if I can get in. And I end up getting in. So I was like, uh-huh. okay, now I know where I'm going. So I put down West Point <laughs> and picked up uh, SIU. Yeah. So you started from the beginning in college. You were studying film and uh, mm-hmm. film production, cinematography. Yes, yes. Uh, my, my mother thought I was going to be more of an English major because I like writing stories at a young age. But when I went and got into film, I was more of telling stories and then writing stories. So that kind of went hand in hand in that part. Um, the great thing about it that I did kind of figure out what I wanted to do before I got to it is a lot of universal studies, a lot of people figuring stuff out, which is okay. But I kind of knew the path that I wanted to go. But when mm-hmm. I got into there, I really wanted to go for special effects. And special effects, it, it, you need a lot to know a lot of math. I'm not a great math student. And so, and you would think, it's like, why would I need to know all this math, you know? But, I mean, you're, you're planning out these trajectories. You know, you have to plan out how objects bounce off each other, how they move in space. That's a lot of math. So uh-huh. once I learned that, I was like, huh, this stuff's not for me. But I had professors there who actually cared. And it was like, well, maybe you're not good at math and maybe you're not good at special effects. But let's see other things in the film program. So I was really good at narratives and documentaries. And so that's the path I went um, in college and on the film department. Okay. Yeah, and I I know very little about the film industry and, and certainly in the education world as well. So it sounds like there are different avenues you can go down from special effects, uh, documentaries or history yeah. or um, live action or different, you know, I guess there's a bunch of different ways you can study. Did you have to oh, kind yes. of go through each of the tracks like you do, um, you know, kind of general studies before you specialize? Yeah, so I mean, you do your, 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 uh, your prereqs and all that stuff. But the thing about this, because this um, this was a film school. So even though it was F- SIU, Southern Illinois University, that and in the College okay. of Mass Communications is still a film school. So it was barely known for film. Yeah. So when I went in there, you have to test in. You have to test in several times. So your first test in, you know, testing the film one, and it's a pass or fail. So if you pass, you move on to the next. If you fail, you cannot take that major again. You're out mm. the major. And so you either go to journalism, uh, radio, television, but you cannot take film again. And so I thought, you know, that's that's really separate, you know, uh, people who really want to do it and people who just thinking about you know, just grabbing cameras. And back mm-hmm. then, even though this wasn't far, this is like 2003. So we was just getting into digital. I had to learn how to cut reel to reel film. I shot on film. I didn't really touch my first digital camera until about my junior year when i was already 20 so i would have to do film had to pay for all that so i grew mm-hmm. i had i was trained on cutting real to real film well now did they did they shoot because i know like film was sort of the original um uh big thing for for movies and then mm-hmm. some of them got into videos 
Did you guys have a, a certain track for that as well before things became fully digital? Yeah. So you, when you coming in, you have the uh, opportunity before you go to 35 millimeter, you have to shoot on a, a eight millimeter. And then before the, uh, you start off with an eight millimeter, then a 16 millimeter film, and then a 35 millimeter. So, and all that, you know, you got to pay money. And that, I mean, mm. and it, it's just, it, it sucks on that because, you know, now if you take the camcorder uh, or any video um, camera, you mm-hmm. shoot, you know, you don't like it, you shoot again. Well, this is film. So if I didn't get it right, I, first of all, I paid for it. Yeah. Second, I didn't know I got it wrong till almost weeks later. Yeah. And then you, you can't do nothing. So you really start, uh, you really have to plan things out beforehand and really get it concrete before you start shooting so you can get it right on the first two takes. Rather than now, you just keep shooting till you get it right. That's actually a really good point because I know even like the reels, they run out of space. So you can only shoot for X number of minutes before you mm-hmm. got to swap the reels out again. Does, does, uh, does that exercise that you went through kind of forcing yourself to plan and to be as efficient as you can, does that, do you feel like that's an advantage now even that's, in the world of digital? That's definitely an advantage. And I, I even talked to my team about that because now, you know, we're all different ages now. So the ones under me came up on straight digital, the mm-hmm. one over me, they understand that spot. And that's, like because we plan so much into detail i have shot lists i have call sheets i have all this top to bottom with the storyboards that i pretty much know how this how this video is going to go and anything i do outside of that is just extra and so i know these shots is going to make this um production and that's what we roll with i can better uh plan out for my team they understand but that really set a foundation for me as a film uh, film producer that I can go in and set up the whole scene and know what I want it to look like before I go and experiment it. Uh, that's amazing. And I'm sure it's really hard for younger people to sort of appreciate that, that art, but in, in your mind, you sort of got that muscle memory now to kind of do that, even though oh, you yes. are, you can then call an audible and say, okay, you know what? The, the light changed a little bit. Now let's do these three things. We've got some time to do it. I've got the things I wanted to, and now we can experiment a little bit. Exactly. And, and because of that, because you're planning things out, you're looking, so, you, so if you didn't plan things, you're just going off the fly and just hoping things come together. But when you plan things out, you don't have to focus too much on the game plan because now you know what's going on. Everybody knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at other stuff. Um, yeah. Yesterday we was at a shoot and I knew, you know, how I wanted to place it. I knew where my audio was going to be at. I knew where my secondary camera was going to be at. And I let my PA, my production assistant, you know, start dressing the scene. Before mm-hmm. we started shooting, I told her to stop. She was like, what do you mean? We're ready to go. Everything's set up. I said, did you check over here? So our client left a Coke can on, 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 uh, <laughs> on the table. I said, did you, did you check? And she said, what do you mean? I'm ready to go. We're not even shooting over there. I said, my main camera's not shooting that, but your camera is shooting that. So yeah. you need to look over to get it. So I, I, I just joked with the client. I said, hey, are we being sponsored by Coke today? And they were like, no, no, we're not. We're not. I said, let's get this Coke can out of here. But little stuff like that, you know, helps you look at, you can now look at other things that's going on instead of trying to hopefully hope that one thing is getting right. Now I can look at, okay, now I see what this person doing. I know how to add different things in there. And because you, you already pre-planned it, you can already start editing in your head what you're going to keep, what are you going to cut? So you can make the transition a little faster. Gotcha. Yeah. I want to get into the details of the production in a little bit, but, but uh, let's talk about, so uh, coming out of Southern Illinois mm-hmm. um, film school, what were some of the opportunities that you had uh, presented to you? So, 
Okay, another thing about that is, okay, I told you test two or three times. And so the first time you test in just to see if you get in the program, the second time you test in is where you decide, are you going to be in a uh, part of the crew or are you going to be in um, as a director? And so when you when you test in and you pass, I passed to be a director. We only had like two or three cameras, but these wasn't these industry cameras. So each of these cameras are like forty to sixty thousand dollars a piece. Mm -hmm. So you have to test in to actually use them. So we I was able to do that, and that really helped me out. But I, in my core curriculum classes, I knew the wherewithal that in high school, you know, your teachers they you know they're older, and you know it's like okay, it's authority thing. Mm -hmm. In college, teachers your best friend. You got to understand that. So when you talk to your professors, you talk to them as a peer, as an educated peer. And so what that means, I was co constantly calling on my professor. Hey, you know, what do you think about this? What are you doing with this? And so they took, not only took a liking, but they took an understanding that I'm serious about it. So they brought in a lot of guest speakers. And this is when LinkedIn was just getting off the ground. So even when they come in with guest speakers, I was sitting in front of class um, and I would network with these guest speakers. And so now I'm, I'm still connected with a couple of them today. And so they was in the industry. So I would network with them, talk to them, say what it's like, what it's like, what it takes and all that stuff. So we was gaining a report with each other. Mm -hmm. And also they was telling us about networking, not per se, it's just like networking like as business. They say, get to know other people, get to know uh, other walks of life and understand how they can tell a story, understand how to uh, work with them. So that means for me, during my college career, I would hang out with the engineering students. I would hang out with the English students. I would hang out with, uh, you know, the math, you know, math students, all that stuff. And what that meant was each of them had different colleges. So here's it for you guys going into college, your freshman year, uh, where every year they call it the first week, they call it the week of welcome. So that's when your, your college, um, throws in, you know, welcome everybody back to school. They throw these barbecues. They throw these, um, you know, have food prizes and all that. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're on a university, each college has one. And if you're connected with everybody on the college, you're eating free for the first two <laughs> weeks. And so uh, one day I was going to hang out with the engineering students. I'm in the engineering building. So I got engineering t-shirts. I eat with the engineering kids. Then I go to Art. the dentist, dentistry and I eat with them. So you just <laughs> learn how to network and navigate through that. And that really helps out. So if you don't want to go hungry, figure out all these other clubs. That's brilliant, man. And I think that's, you know, the, we've talked a lot on this podcast about networking, the importance of that in every aspect of your life. But that is a new, that is a new tweak to the, uh, to the networking system to uh, be able to actually eat decently for the first couple of weeks. But mm -hmm. yeah, it is really important. So, um, so you, you built some, some good bridges um, as you went through these, um, these tests. And, and I, I love the other gem too about your college professor as your educated peer, because I never, I never thought about that. I never sort of made that shift when I was in school. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you're right. That's a really good perspective to have to, to sort of seek them out. Uh, because I think underneath it, they do want to help their students succeed mm -hmm. and to learn as long as you're willing to show the initiative and the effort uh, to get their information. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I know several professors and the thing is, you know, they're, they're human just like us. And so mm -hmm. if you show interest in them, they show interest in you and they want to connect you with other, you know, uh, professors in, in the area or other colleges. And the thing, what I, what I learned was uh, most of my college professors 
used to work in the industry as well. So they had, you know, working mm-hmm. knowledge. And so even if they couldn't help you at a certain subject, they can call on one of their peers in the industry to help you out, to give you guidance. Gotcha. So did you have, so coming out of school or you're getting towards graduation, mm-hmm. you had already sort of talked to some of these folks about next steps and what might be in front of you? Oh, yes. So the good part about it was, um, I was able to network. I did really, really good in school. And two weeks after graduation, I was already working in Hollywood. Like, um, there was no downtime. Uh, so, um, because of the connections and whatnot, um, I built a good, good base with our alumni base. Mm-hmm. And so I can call up on different people and working out in LA. It, it, it was a blast. Uh, it was some different. Um, I told you I'm from Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you know what Illinois is, is in, in the Midwest. So yeah. it's just flatlands. So I don't have no, no view of anything, you know, uh-huh. anything that has water, it was a lake. So, yeah. um, when I first got out to uh, LA, my goodness, it was, it was beautiful. And from a Midwestern kid with no sense, what I was 17 when I went out there. No, no, no. I was, uh, 20 when I went out there and had my 21st birthday. So wow. I've never, never been into to the ocean before. And I jumped in head first. And, you know, <laughs> if you, you swim in a lake, you know, you drink lake water, it's just water. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's <laughs> ocean water getting in your mouth. It's not the same. And I, I didn't know the difference. Took a big gulp. And I was like, this is disgusting. <laughs> yeah. And the waves are a little bit bigger than off uh, oh, Lake no. Michigan, right? They are way bigger, and it, yeah. it, it, but it, it's just a nice freeing feeling out there. But, you know, living in L.A., it's a very expensive town, expensive city. So I made it my bet because I said, I don't know the next time I'm coming out here. I got to enjoy it. So every day after work, I went to the beach. I don't care if it was late. I don't care if I just got only had enough time to put my foot in the water. Mm-hmm. I went to the beach every day because one is free and two, cause you know, I don't know the next time I'm going to be out there like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's actually a really good perspective. So were you working on a, on a certain production or a film or part of a studio or what was, what was the Oh role? Yes. So I don't know. Like that's how I learned how the business really goes. And so you see all these movies you see all these, uh, productions going out there and you think oh man if i can only work with you know uh pixar if i can only work with sony i'll be set and Mm -hmm. work there well in production that's not the case you don't work for the studio you work for the production so you work for the project so even if sony headlined that project um you don't work for sony you work for that video that movie that sony's producing that's it so okay. you're pretty much a glorified freelancer. Um, and what um, I worked on, you know, some uh, indie films. I worked on a couple commercials, TV commercials here and there. Um, I didn't get to work on any big movies because those are hard to get on. Mm-hmm. But uh, my directors, uh, especially for some indies and some SAGs I worked on, uh, one thing that made me, uh, made my head turn a little bit about being out in Hollywood was that, you know, they was about 50, 60, and we was having a conversation one day, and one of them had to leave early. I was saying, you know, where you got to get home to the wife and kids? He was like, no, I got to get home to let my uh, roommate in. You know, my roommate locked himself out. And I'm like, you like 55. Why do you have a roommate? (laughs) And he said, well, it's expensive to live out here. You can't do it by yourself. 
And I was like, so what about, you know, the kids and all that stuff? You said, uh, come to find out most of us is either divorced or none of us don't have, uh, we don't have kids. We don't have, because there's no time for family. Mm. When you're on a production, a short day is about 14 hours. And, and when you get close to deadline, you, sometimes you're on set for 20, 22 hours at a time. Yeah. So you don't really have that. And then, you know, trying to have a, you know, social life, trying to have, you know, a relationship when you're working 16, 18 hours, you know, on a movie that might take six months to do, it's hard to have that balance. Yeah. And so um, after a while being out there working on stuff and then also we being on set, uh, it's certain certain levels on there. You know, um, I didn't never worked in a corporate setting. So that's as corporate as we get. But, you know, you get on there as a PA or whatever, the, you know, you don't talk to the director that, uh, as much. You don't talk to the producers. You don't talk to the, you know, you might talk to the grips and the best boys, but you don't really talk to people that's higher up. You just, you get word to what to do. It's commanded down, but you don't really talk to each other. And then with the, with the other production assistants, you know, if you're on a big production, it might be 30 of you guys. If you're on a small production, it might be two of you. But, uh, in the beginning, it's more of okay, it's a competition. You know, I gotta outshine this person because I'm you pretty much vying for another job. Yeah. Um, so you're trying to outshine each other and all this stuff, and then towards the end of a production, then people want to start getting buddy buddy because it's like, hey, you know, uh, what, what you got going on next? You know, right. what project you're working on. So it, it, it's a lot of a lot of that. So if you're okay. You know, having a concrete job for like three months at a time and then have to find a new one. Yeah. Um, I just wasn't used to that. And I don't think I could could get used to that. So after the, my time there, um, I decided to come back to Illinois and I started working for a television station. Okay. So tell me about that going from movies and, and you know, being could, could be on a set or traveling to different places uh, back to a TV station is usually in a studio, right? Same yes. place. And they change some of the sets within that studio and mm-hmm. or they may have one set depending on what the show is. Right. So tell me what that, that shift was like. So um, the television station was definitely, you know, a downgrade from Hollywood, the hustle and bustle. It was still there, but you're in one spot almost. And, they saw that I worked in Hollywood, so I got a job really easily there. Um, they just said, uh, first time I interviewed, they said, let me see your work experience. Because I was, what, you know, 22, 23. And it was like, oh, you work here? Okay, can you start tomorrow? I said, all right, good. So um, that was easy enough to get the job. But uh, the little differences are, you know, it, it's Hollywood is a little more polished than television. Television it's a, it's a, but it's a television might be a little more structured in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the television station I worked with, we did, uh, uh, take productions and live productions. And we, sometimes we do them all in the same day. So we might start off with two live productions to go on break. And then we'll tape, you know, four or five, uh, studio productions. And I, I excelled really, really quickly there. Um, I started off as, you know, just a camera operator. Then within a couple months, I was chief camera operator. And then, you know, I was a production lead. And then I built, then at one point, you know, before the end of my career there, I, I built the set, I lit the set, I shot the set, and I edited the sets. And so I was all around. But it's, it's, a, it's a smaller pool over there. So it was one of those things where I, I had a glass ceiling and I can't move up to a senior move out and in those cases like to this to this day that senior exec is still there so i will still be under him you know not be able to get what uh to move up yeah 
so I, I mean, but but it sounds like you got to do a lot of different things that if you'd stayed, you know, either in LA and doing, you'd sort of have that narrower view of mm -hmm. experience. Whereas with this, you got full gamut, kind of like comparing working for a massive organization, yes. a company versus a startup where you get to have your hands in everything, right? And this is the, also, this is where one, one a key thing I started learning in later in life that helped me in my business. But when I got there, um, even though, like I said, I sell really, really fast, but nobody wanted to talk to me. Another, uh, another, uh, you know, the long timers, they was, I want, I'd be frank, the boomers, they didn't want to talk to me. Yeah. So, because I essentially, they thought I was taking their job. And so I was younger, cheaper, faster. Mm -hmm. um, they was older, senior, you know, better and more proficient. Yeah. And I think I sat down one or two of them. And I said, look, I don't want to be here. I don't want to take your job. But life says I need to get this experience before I can move on. So work with me and learn, let me learn what I need to learn so I can move from here. I don't want to live in this town. I just need this experience to move on. And that once they, we had that dialogue, they were like, oh, okay, well, here you should learn this. You should learn this. Here's how things go. That's how I uh, be able to excel. Because otherwise, if I wouldn't have said that, we had to have the discussion, yeah. they would constantly you know, bump heads because they know if they messed up or if I gained more experience, they could be on their way out. But once they had talked about that, they was like, oh, yeah, no, this is what you need to know. This is how you need to do things. I'm going to show you the right way to do stuff. And that helped me out really well. That's a, that's a really key point is that, you know, having those hard conversations, because I'm sure you're trying to figure out what's the best way to resolve this. And, mm -hmm. and y'all are on different pages. And to be that young and to have that foresight to say, you know what, let's level say here, guys, you know, I don't want your job. You don't need to feel insecure about me. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to move it on anyway, but I want to take what I can from this job. Um, that's very, very insightful for you to do Plus, that. It, it, was, it was really hard to navigate, you know, why are these, you know, these grownups upset with you or have this animosity towards you? And like, they're essentially, you know, the same age as your parents, you know, <laughs> and it's like, why are you upset with me? What did I do wrong? And so yeah. I wish somebody would have taught me more about how to navigate that, even though I think I did really well with sitting them down. But it's just that you're not going from, you know, from school to school to school. Everybody's roughly around the same age. So, mm -hmm. you know, within four or five years, you know, in college, you may get somebody older, older six years. You get some grad students, but that's later on. But everybody's roughly within, you know, four or five years of you. So everybody's your peer. Then you get into the working world where you might have somebody five years, 10 years, 15, 30 years older than you. They don't mm -hmm. teach you how to, end, you know how to work with those different types, you know? Yeah. So I'm looking at you for guidance and you're mad at me for me being there. And I just didn't understand that at first. Right. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's true in the corporate world too, where um, I, I've seen where some people come out of school, uh, they land in a management job and they're managing people who are 20 or 30 years older. And there's that, that generation gap, that age gap, that experience gap. And so having to sort of level set with that, um, similar situation to what you just did so kudos for you man Thanks. so what so what uh how long were you at that tv station i was there when i want to say from i was there about three three and a half years okay and one of the things that um led me i was on on set and i just couldn't focus anymore i was i was visibly upset i was talking to one of my 
actually this is one of my uh co-workers she was older than me about you know about 15 20 years older than me but she wasn't above me so that's why we, we was able to have a good conversation mm-hmm. and i was i was like she was like she was like what's wrong and i was like i just can't focus you know i'm just it, it's just something about this you know like i don't know what's next but i know this is not it and she was like, have you think about looking at other jobs? I was like, yeah, but there's nothing in the, in the area. And I don't, I don't think I, I like this type of dyna- dynamic. And then she said something that was very profound that stuck with me. She said, maybe you're upset with work, not because of the work, what you're doing, because you're not meant to work for someone. And mm. I was like, oh, okay. Maybe I'll have more joy into what I like. Cause I love production, but I just didn't love, you know, being up under people like that. Yeah. And so and this is around, I was 25 then, and uh, what I always do around that time, because um, this was, even though it was back in Illinois, it was still about five hours from my hometown. So every time around my birthday, I always go home for a couple of days um, and just reflect. And so I remember I was going home my 25th, and I had, uh, I, was the time, I was turning 26, and I said, Mom, Dad, um, I think I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to move. And it was like, where, where are you going to go? Why are you going to do this? I was like, well, uh, you know, about about what six months prior to, because I had my L.A. background, a lot of my friends were still in in Hollywood. And they mm-hmm. was calling me and saying, hey, have you heard of this place called Atlanta? I was like, where's that at? And mm-hmm. I said, I know the battle, like Atlanta Falcons. I know the Atlanta <laughs> Hawks. I was like, but I, I did like, seriously, I didn't even know where Georgia was. And it was like, yeah, um, people are, are – our producers are going out there and some of them are staying. Our location scouters are going out there. Mm-hmm. I think they're building something. You kind of, you might want to check that out. You're closer to them than we are. And I was like, I don't know. I've never heard of that place before. Yeah. I, what year was this? This was in, uh, this had to be around 2010. Cause I left in 2011. Okay. So I, I heard it like late 2010. And then, like I said, this is where you want to keep, talking with your professors, like, you know, educated peers, because I called my professor. I said, hey, have you heard of this town called Atlanta? They was like, yeah, I heard of it. And I was like, what is going on there? What I'm hearing? They was like, yeah, they're building something out there. And I think they're going to start having studios and doing productions out there. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are moving from L.A. because I think either they were in- instituting uh, either tax credits or it was just because Georgia – you could shoot all year round, almost like in uh, L.A. Mm-hmm. And yeah, different types of scenery. We can mask the different uh, different cities. Either, you know, you go out in the countryside, you have different. You can, you can look like the U.K. out there. Mm-hmm. When you come to the city, it can look like New York and all that. So they can mask different things. Yeah. So he was like, um, yeah, you should really take a look at that. So that's when I went home, you know, thinking about it. And I told my parents, uh, my mom was like, oh, you should, you know, stay at your job a little longer, get some money. And before you decide to make this move. And I was like, mom, how much money does it take to move? And she was like, I don't know. And I said, that's the right. You know, we don't know. So I'll be there, you know, thinking I have three months later and I could be there another 10 years, you know, mm-hmm. in a blink of eye. And I wouldn't tell my dad. He was like, well, I don't know why you're asking me. You already made up your mind. You were just telling us. <laughs> he ain't asking us. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So uh, I drove back, um, went, to my, went to my producer, went to my director at the job. And I said, hey, I'm putting him a two weeks. And he was like, I hate to see you go. Um, what you got lined up? I said, uh, I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to go out to Atlanta. I said, oh, okay. You got family out there? I said, no. Oh, okay. You got a job? I said, no. Mm-hmm. He said, now why are you going out there? I said, because I think I should be out there. And he said, well, you know, 
um, if we can change your mind, let, you know, we'd like to have you here. I said, no, no, you guys have been great, but I think this is something I have to do. And another reason behind it is, you know, I, was, I said, I just turned 26. All I had was me and my puppy. I had no responsibilities. I didn't have no major bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, uh, my dad, you know, bought me a secondhand car. So we owned the car. So I was like, why not? This is the perfect time. If I messed up, I can just go back home. If yep. I did okay, I'm all right. I didn't have no family to worry about. I ain't have no outside pressures. So I said, yeah, let's do this. So, That's great, man. So uh, so you, you get in the car, you head down to Atlanta. Where do you start finding a job? I mean, I know like, because you'd mentioned before, right? Because I, I mean, I've been in Atlanta a long time. And so I know the state of Georgia gave a lot of tax breaks for uh, companies to start filming here. And you mentioned the weather and the scenery and all that. And I think there was... I think North Carolina had a, I think a start of filming. Yes. Georgia really picked it up. They've got the coast down in Savannah. Mm -hmm. Um, There's lots of things that they want to do. And I think you're right. In the last 10 years, it's really grown a lot. So when you get here, where do you start to look for a job in the film industry? So when I got down here, um, I was, you know, making out, reaching out to people beforehand saying, Hey, how can I, you know, jump on a production? How can I do that? I called up one of my alumni and asked about, you know, anything, anything opening going on. They was telling me, yeah, you know, they got these second uh, editor positions at this movie called Neighborhood Watch. And I was like, oh, okay. So I made it through the first round, made it through the second round, and then I got me an edit bay. I was like, let me go ahead and sit down and get started. And the director was like, no, um, I'd I rather pull my people from L.A., so I'm going to fly them out and to work there. And that's usually what happens. You want to work with people that you know. It's a, I wasn't having hard feelings, but I knew. After that, I said, this is going to be a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And so um, then I was reaching out to other, you know, small, you know, record labels and whatnot. Can I do video for you guys? Can I work for you guys? And they was like, oh, yeah, come on, come on. The smaller ones, not the big ones. So They're like, come on, come on. But we can't pay you. And I was like, no, no, I need to get paid because I don't have no job. Like, <laughs> I need help. And it was like, oh, yeah, if you come work with us, you know, eventually we'll pay you. Come do this. And so I was like, I can't do that. And so... I had to swallow my pride and get a part-time job. So um, I ended up working uh, about, I got down here, I want to say out of that three months, I'm already, you know, looking for a job. And I ended up getting a job at Domino's Pizza. And yeah. I was a delivery driver for a while. I was a delivery driver for that remainder of that year. And then, but during that position, I was like, okay, I cannot rely on people to give me a job. I can no yeah. longer rely on people to give me a, a a way to live my life. So I have to take things in my own hands. So then that in January of 2012, that's when I started my company, TC Productions. And, you know, when got the LLC, I think Chase Bank was doing this special. You open mm-hmm. a, a business account for like 50 bucks and then they'll process and file for you to get your LLC. So I was like, why not? So yeah. uh, went and got that. And so I had an LLC, I had a business and all that stuff. But yeah, I, I just knew that I couldn't rely on other people to pave my way for me. I had to do it myself. Yeah. And so setting up your own business, obviously there's a lot that goes into that from just formulating the company and the structure and the legal aspect of it. But for you, you require some pretty decent equipment to be able to do what you need to do. Um, did you, how do you find the, the gear to start out um, with doing what you're doing? So um, I took some money um, that I, I had, uh, what I, what I did was I think my last year, I just went and applied for a student loan and I took that money and I bought a camera 
mm-hmm. I ended up uh, buying like a five thousand dollar camera, and and it was like, well, I guess even still today, that's still a lot. But what what really killed me was that's when you know when I was telling you about they was holding doing that was the big SD to HD conversion, and everything mm-hmm. had to be HD. And I bought an SD camera, so I bought a five thousand dollar camera, and then within a year, I couldn't use it anymore. Man. So, um, but going down there, uh, I knew how to be a filmmaker. I didn't know how to be a business owner. So I'm thinking, oh, I got a business. Boom. As soon as I say I got a business, people just be flocking to me. Mm-hmm. Never happened. Yeah. Um, then I had to learn how to uh, navigate. Well, okay, I need equipment. I can keep using my equipment. And even though I was putting out pretty good work, I still wasn't making money. Uh, I was getting lowballed. Uh, you know, people thought of me per hour, and it, it just wasn't translating. So it took, I, I want to say, a good four years, like uh, just grinding. I had it was one point, um, and this is a testament. If you're gonna be an entrepreneur, you're gonna have to swallow your pride and just like take take these lumps. Because there's a one point I was working at Domino's, uh, Domino's Pizza, working at Corner Bakery, and then doing TC Productions. And here, here's my schedule, uh, like. I was like working three days at one job, three days another job, and have a day off. And but everything was doing TC Productions. And my Fridays was like was really crucial because Friday morning I worked at Corner Bakery from 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. Then I would go up and I'll do TC Production stuff from 11 a.m. to about 5 p.m. And then I would get on the road and go drive from Domino's from 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. And that's I mean, I figure like if I'm gonna get it, I have to go out and get it because some have something's gonna give, and I feel like putting all this hard work in now is gonna pay off later. Yeah, but man, when you know going through it, it's different in hindsight because I was like, you know what, I'm just ready to get on 75 and just head up north and just go all the way back home. And it was a well, lot of times I thought about that. Yeah, I'm sure. So what was because I mean, I think we all kind of run through that, especially when you're putting in that kind of a grind for months on end. Um, what what did you lean on to help keep you on track? Did you have some some either business partners or some people that were holding you accountable? Or was it just, you know, you're pretty independent and this dream that you had, you were going to see it um, come hell or high water? Uh, that part. I mean, cause <laughs> I had some, had some business partners and not really. It was just friends that would decide, you know, they wanted to come down there with me. Mm-hmm. And, but then, you know, when, when you get a lot of stress and all this stuff, that's when things start to fall out. So they was like, okay, well, this video stuff is not paying any bills. So let me get a job. And mm-hmm. then, you know, you start working a part-time job, you know, 20, 30 hours. And then you get a taste of full-time. So you're doing that. Then you get a taste of steady money. Then video production is not your thing anymore. So one person dropped off. And then another person, he was doing a thing. And then he dropped off. So I was really doing it on my own. Um, and and it, it was hard because when I was doing when I first started off, I said we're on record labels and doing like music videos and whatnot. Music video schedule is different from everybody else. So I would start. I wouldn't even start it on the music video until almost eight p.m. on certain days. You know, or you shooting club scenes uh, for various artists. You don't even get there to after midnight. Yeah. And so it's just it was very taxing, and um, I had to just say, look, man, I, I used to. Uh, what was these? It was these uh, television shows that I always used to watch, you know, uh, 
you know, the how you make it, you know, behind the scenes, you know, where were they now? I used to constantly watch those and I was seeing people, you know, oh, I had to go through these trials and tribulations before I caught this break. I saw this. I said, look, guys, we're going to be making a good. And this at the time, you know, VH1, I was like, we're going to make a good VH1 behind the music, behind the scenes story. We just got to keep at it. They didn't believe yeah. me. They fell off. And, you know, I don't even think VH1 still does that now. But that really pushed me through. I said, look, it's got to be a reason. You cannot put this much hard work and uh, life into something and not get a return. It might not happen now, but I, I felt like you just couldn't do that and not get a return. And it's the right way to do it, but I felt like if I keep taking these lumps, keep working at it, something eventually turned. And yeah. after after uh, years of doing that, what what helped me out was even though I love shooting music videos, I love the club scene and all that. They was very, very creative. They just didn't have no money. And so it just like, how many times do I got to do something just to make a quick buck? Uh, so that's when we started looking at um, doing business videos because we saw that all the videos on the business side was pretty stale and pretty the same, but they had money to do so. So that's when I started transitioning re and pivoting my company to do more business videos than music videos. So tell the listeners like what, what a business video, I, I have a good sense, but just in general, what would you do? How would you describe a business video? So a business video is pretty much, it's almost like a TV commercial. It's highlighting um, your business, the, your, either your business goals or your, or your marketing videos of the products or the services that your business has. And music video is just, you know, promoting that artist going through um, through their music, whatever track they have, and you're promoting it through that. The, uh, the good thing about the music video industry is really hard because the really good people get paid really well. Everybody else, there's no middle ground. Either you're doing indie stuff and getting paid, you know, a couple hundred dollars here and there, or you're doing uh, national artists, you know, major artists where you got a ten, fifteen, fifty thousand dollar budget for a mm -hmm. music video. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh there's there's not a there's not a good scale that kind of leads up to that. It's either all or nothing, mm -hmm. it sounds like. Mm-hmm. So your your company videos, these these are for internal audiences or these are actual for uh for broadcast commercial, um just kind of describing, you know, different company well, products and services. Yes. When I first started off, they they were definitely for internal because I, I didn't I didn't have good enough equipment. I wasn't even good enough to shoot TV commercials. Mm -hmm. So they were definitely for you know, uh, for their websites. And it's, it's really hard because a lot of business people, they don't really have that great of imagination. So my demo reel at the time starting out was nothing but music video stuff. Yeah. And so they were like, let me see some of the stuff you work with. I might let you work, you know, on here. And it was like, uh, why are you showing me this rap video? Why are you showing me this country video? Why are you showing me that? I was like, you say you want to see some of that work. Yeah, I work in our field. And I was like, oh, I don't have much. That's why I'm coming to you about it. And I was like, well, yeah. you can't really do stuff with us if I don't know what you've done. I said, can't you just look at the artwork on this video? They couldn't, you know, couldn't grasp, you know, saying, hey, I want to look at, you know, the video quality, the technique. And it was like, look, I see people rapping on here. I, I have nothing to do with this. So why are you showing me this? So um, during that, I'm still working at Domino's, still working at Corner Bakery. So now I'm like, okay. You got to go back to doing the free stuff, free and discounted, just to build mm -hmm. up a portfolio. And that's what I did for, you know, several years before. And then the, the weird part, I got to this milestone where, okay, I got a couple of uh, good videos on there. So now I'm going to go to these business people and say, okay, well, we got some business videos. 
how can we help you doing this? And then I would show a, a insurance agents uh, a video I did for real estate agents. And first thing they said, I don't do real estate. Why are you showing me this? I'm like, oh man, I got to do this thing all over again. <laughs> and so the second year we're going in, so now I got to say, okay, now I got videos and within each category now. Maybe somebody will take me on. And it didn't happen. So next thing will happen, these meetings were going on. And the first thing, because, you know, I was young and looked younger. And so when I was going to meetings, first thing, how old are you? I was like, oh, man, why? What does that mean? Yeah. And he was like, oh, you know, I, I got a kid your age. You know, or, you know, I know somebody, you know, around your age. So that, not, that, would, that when, they, when they start the conversation like that, they're saying, I'm not going to pay you what you think you're going to get paid. So mm -hmm. if I was going in there and saying, I want to do this project, and this might be 2500 And I was like, well, look, kid, <laughs> you better be lucky I'm giving you a gig. So the most you're getting out of me is $800. And I and I, I was young, so I was like, I gotta take it. You know, yeah, I didn't know no better. Yeah. Wow. So, is there um, is every price kind of negotiated, or is there sort of a framework of, you know, this 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 video for this website or this application that's going to take thirty hours for me to do? I bill it at a certain rate, and this is my this is my uh, my invoice to you, or is everything kind of up in the air to whatever that they're willing to pay? Like, I mean, I was, like I said, I, I, I was so new. I didn't know, understand business. I didn't understand, you know, my hourly, you know, you just go off of whatever hourly you did at what your job. So mm -hmm. I was like, well, I did, I was making $10 at this job. So I must be worth $10 in any, every job. And so yeah. um, I went into that. And, and the thing is, a, a seasoned veteran in, in business, whatever, they know when you knew. And so they know you know no much and you're going to take whatever. So yeah. everything was a uh, negotiation. And, you know, I go in there, I say, okay, I'm not leaving unless, uh, you know, uh, I'm going with firm and I want $1,500 for this project. I'll still walk off with $700 because they would talk me down and mm -hmm. stuff. And I didn't know, know any better, you know, so I, I was just taking them. And, and that happened for a while. Yeah, that's that's probably true. They probably said, look, you know, we got bids from a couple other companies or we've been using this one firm and they're getting a little pricey. But, you know, here's a guy here that looks like he's 12. So we could probably give him 500 bucks and he'll take it. Right. Yep. Yep. That's yeah. the, I probably I'm pretty sure the way you just laid it out when how all these conversations went. Yep. Yep. So what was the turning point where you sort of had everything come together where you've got you've got the right portfolio. You're able to kind of represent yourself well and be able to sort of make money off of a of a a production um what was it that that kind of changed the tide for you so what really happened was i started going to networking events like i said i never been to you know i didn't even know what that meant uh, as far as business i started going to networking events and then i started here's one thing as an entrepreneur like i told y'all you're gonna take lumps you know all this you swallow your pride but be vulnerable have the wherewithal to be open and be vulnerable and so at certain these meetings yes i own this company i do this and but during these one-on-ones, I said, "Look, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. I need help." Uh, and so now I'm doing these uh, these coaching meetings and then all this stuff. And so now I'm getting people coaching me up and telling me, "Okay, this is how you want to do things in business. This is how you you should present yourself. This is how you should talk to people. This is how you should get in there." And so once I start getting coached. Mm -hmm. that's when things start changing and uh, you don't have to go out and, you know, buy an action coach or buy any coaches right off the bat. There's some people, there's certain small one-on-one uh, coaching sessions that they offer you for free. There's certain groups that's small enough to where you, you know, you can be coached or you just walk up to somebody that you feel like, Hey, you can really help me out in this field. Mm -hmm. I need help. 
And when you're open, people will want to help you. And so yeah. that, that's what's helping me out. And one of my one of my uh, cross coaching sessions, this one one coach told me this one valuable message as well. He was like, because I was like, I'm always in every meeting. I'm, I'm always the youngest. They're talking to me like I'm a kid mm-hmm. and I'm just never getting across. And he said, look, you know, because I was competing with people was and it was like, yeah. And like I said, I'm like 27, 28 around this time, you know, 26, 27, 28. And people was being in corporate longer than I was being alive. And so I'm like, how do I compete with that expertise, you know, uh, and yeah. experience? And he sat me down. He said, look, now that person, uh, what, he got 30 years in manufacturing. And he obviously older than you. But how many years of video he has? I was like, nah. So you're the senior in this scenario, right? I was like, yeah. I am. <laughs> and he was like, oh, that light bulb went off and exploded in my head. And so now I'm going to, yes, you might have 15 years on me. You might have 20 years on me. But how many video years? Only I'm the person, when I step into a room, I know what I know. And nobody else knows what I know. You yeah. know? And even if you're another videographer, you don't have the same experience I have. You you know you might you know you, you might do animation better, but you know you don't do narration better. So when I when he told me that, that's when I owned everything, and I just owned myself and said, okay. When I walk into the room, yes, you're older, yes, you're whatever, but when we're talking about video, you listen to me. I'm a professional now, and kind so know, know your strengths, right? Yes, yes, and that yeah. set it off for me, and that's when things start to click. Yeah. That's great, man. That's, that's a valuable lesson to learn at any age because you can get into that, you know, especially when you're younger in the imposter syndrome where you mm-hmm. walk in, you're like, I'm the dumbest one in this room or I have mm-hmm. no idea why am I even here? And, you know, it's it, it, that that voice in your head may not be the same one going in everyone else's head. And so you mm-hmm. wind up psyching yourself out sometimes where you you need to lean on something, give yourself some confidence and knowing what strengths you've got going into a situation and just knowing that you can get the job done regardless of your surroundings, uh, mm-hmm. really critical. Sometimes that comes with experience. Sometimes there's people that can really, really fake it till they make it, you know? Um, but whatever mm-hmm. you tap into, it sounds like that's really, that was the turning point for you. Yes, yes, it was. Well, cool. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing these days with TC Productions. Well, now, now we're grown. I mean, I was doing solo, uh, you know, coming up to this, uh, you know, whole story. Now we're, we're doing bigger projects. Now, um, I say back then when I was telling you, I was getting, you know, $200, you know, and $700 projects and I was mm-hmm. like taking them. Now, you know, we're, we're, we just, what, we just closed on the $20,000 project the other day. Got you a know, couple I zeros got, behind it now. Yes. Good, yes. Man. You know, I, yeah. I got several, you know, I, I do several 10, 15, $18,000 projects, you know, almost every month now. And so we're, we're growing. I got a, you know, business, a business manager. We got, five editors now we got four other shooters um we 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 all got a content creator now so we were able to move uh, a lot better and a lot faster and more efficiently now we got streamlined processes and we got you know it it feels like a a real company now yeah i felt like all those lumps was needed to get me here because um, even now, you know, I was like, I'm in year eight of my business and I just opened up, you know, a, a credit line for the company. Mm-hmm. Now, if I would have opened up a credit line for the company, you know, five years ago, I'd be bankrupt because I yeah. wouldn't even know how to use it. Yeah. Well, you had to kind of learn business, you know, by trial and error. You know, mm-hmm. you didn't necessarily have 
you know, the, the structure that some people learn in school um, or having a smaller business to start with, you were just kind of like, and you're stepping into a, a pretty competitive environment on top of that. It's not like mm-hmm. you're just, you know, doing website building where, you know, people they have been doing websites for 40 years, you know, but right. they've been shooting movies for a long time. And so you were stepping into something that you had to learn uh, by trial and error, which is good. Um, what are some, what are some, uh, um, we were talking earlier just about, you know, 2020 and mm-hmm. how COVID's affected you. Cause I mean, obviously the movie business is pretty much, you know, shut down at least for mm-hmm. the short term, right? How has that affected your ability to shoot in the, the, the business realm and the commercial realm? Well, see that the difference between, you know, the movie realm is that, you know, you're working on a project, you know, you might work on it six, nine months at a time. And Oregon video, especially in, in for businesses, it's a little different. You know, you're working on projects here and there all the time, but now you're thinking less of a movie producer and you're thinking more of a business owner. And so what helped us navigate through this, and I'm, I'm glad we do this, is that at the end of 2019, we decided, I said, look, I, I, you know, I have a feeling that it's going to be busy. I didn't know anything about no COVID. I said, we're probably going to get busy. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to market ourselves and trying to market for us um, or in general, trying to market during at that time is always hard because then once you market and you get busy, you stop marketing and all that stuff. I said, we don't want to fall into that trap. So we, at the end of the year, we ended up creating, I said, we got to create our own marketing video so we can stay top of mind. And that's just learning about being in business, not even about to be in video. So we created 40, 40, 45 snippets of you know informational videos and so that gave us almost a year's worth of information that we can put out consistently every single week we stay on top of mind so what happened when covid hit the with with other businesses with small business in general when any turmoil happens in your business the first two things a business does is they cut marketing and then they fire people and so we're marketing so they was ready to let us go yeah and but we 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 just got done doing a project for Delta, which you know before it all happened. So um, once it started happening, and Delta, you know they do net thirties and whatnot. So we got paid later. So that helped us out, you know, going through there. I paid all my contractors up early. Mm-hmm. Um, but during that time, what really happened with us in COVID was even though we weren't shooting it allowed me to focus on my business and we just got, we just went really internal and saying, what do we want to come out of this? Where do we want to be next? And what do we actually want to do? Do we want to start, we want to still shoot everything for everybody and just take in stuff. Or do we want to be really focused on the stuff that we actually want to do? Cause I didn't become a business owner to do stuff. I don't want to do. I could have yeah. got a job for that. Right. So, we went in there. That's when I say I had my business manager. We said, okay, since we're not shooting anything, but we still can edit. So we still edit stuff here and there. But since we're not shooting anything, how are we going to structure this company? How are we going to bring in certain processes? How are we going to communicate with each other? And how are we going to market? And so we get a good, a, well, about a good month and a half just doing, just talking, having these emails, having these conversations, what, you know, having these, uh, you know, SOPs, all this stuff, standard operating procedures, mm-hmm. start really focusing on what needs to be done. So I said, when this happens, when this is over, we'll be ready to strike. So all those videos that we shot, we were still marketing those videos. So we were still staying top of mind. And what people were seeing was, oh man, we're going, they're going through COVID. 
but they're staying busy. How is that possible? Yeah. What, are they, what, are they, what are they doing, <laughs> you know, that allows them to keep working? Time shifted it, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. That was really smart. I mean, it's, you know, certainly there's some things you didn't anticipate, but you were kind of re-optimizing your company anyway. And mm-hmm. so I think it was, you know, just in, in hindsight, it looked out that it was a pretty good, pretty good deal for you. Um, yes. Are you starting to see, I mean, because, you know, we're now, what, like six months into this, uh, mm-hmm. this shutdown and people are used to, uh, I think, going out with a mask for the most part. I'm going to leave the political commentary aside, but um, it seems like people are, you know, slowly getting back out into the world, although office offices are typically not mm-hmm. still occupied at this point, but restaurants and, you know, stores and some things are starting to open up. Is that, are you seeing some change with, uh, with your business model or your customers? Yes, and they're, the thing was that they're getting wiser. And what really helped, you know, uh, helped us in COVID, it was, so I've been preaching the same thing about, you know, most of my video career as a business owner, I was saying, you have to have an online presence. You have to have a digital presence. You have to market online. Not everybody's, you know, the, and what they tell you, oh, no, no, I'm fine. My marketing is okay. You know, I'd rather do the traditional way of marketing or I, uh, uh, word of mouth has been working for me the last 20 years and I'm not going to change. Um, networking is how I get, you know, get across. And mm-hmm. then when all that went away, what happened? You know, that's when, you know, they was running around with their heads cut off. Um, the people that didn't have a digital presence and that didn't adapt, they were out of business. So they was gone. And then the others that was, you know, they decided they want to shut their marketing down or they was barely squeaking by. They was like, that kid that kept saying the same thing over and over, he was kind of right because now you're the people that had a digital presence, they was rocking it through it. You know, they yeah. might saw a little dip, but then it went right back up. The yeah. people that didn't was trying to learn how to have a digital presence on the fly. Yeah. And it's so, too late. But, yeah. It's too late. Right. Yeah. So you're, you're being reactionary and mm-hmm. you're probably not doing the best things for your company or to be effective. Exactly. And so it's now it's like it's a world full of noise and now you want to add to it, but you don't know how to navigate. You don't have your own voice anymore. Yeah. And so it's like, how do I do this? And so now they're freaking out and, uh, you know, in a frantic place, like, okay, okay, I do need digital press. I didn't do all this. And even while we was going through it for the first half of COVID, you know, I mean, we're still in it now, but the first half of it, you know, we were still making the phone calls, doing the follow up. No, we're not doing marketing. No, we shut down marketing. No, we're not doing this. And you know, my business manager, she was like, so what are we, we going to be doing now? You know, are we going to have to worry about I said, no, let's stay fast. Because what I know is that they need to realize this is not going away. The first half of COVID, people, they, they, they clinched their pockets and it was like, okay, well, this is going to be over in a couple months. We're just waiting for it to go back to the, to the old ways, go back to normal. And I was telling people, and there is no normal. Yeah. All right. The, the new normal is this is going to be out from here on out, even if, COVID disappears. We're going to figure out. We don't need to be at work like that. So mm-hmm. how are you going to adjust? So I was like, okay, let's wait. Let's wait for them to realize this is not going to go away. And now they have to market their business. Let them see. I have a three-month dip where they figure out if I don't market and hold off on my marketing, that I can still maintain the same efficiency or the same uh, marketability and the same flow. You didn't. Cause once you stop marketing, hey, people forgot about you. Yeah. And so now, now, so we let that happen. We let that settle in, and now they're like, okay, now we need to market. You was actually right this whole time. I need your help. 
So you are, I mean, are you getting into almost like a consulting type of a role with these companies in addition to doing the production? No, I, I'm still doing production. I, I, the, the consulting part is just, they want to see what you know, but they already know, like, because we have a good portfolio. They just know, they know they need you and they need okay. you now. And so even, even if, if I'm going to the uh, consultancy phase, I, I can't do it with certain companies because when they start letting people go, that means if you had an in-house video production company, you let them go. If you had an in-house marketing company, you let them go. Uh, if you had a marketing department, 20% of them was gone. And so you wouldn't, even if I can consult you on how to create videos, you didn't have the gear. You didn't have, you know, the practice on doing it. You couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's actually a really good point. Cause you're, you're right. I mean, when, when companies are sort of tightening the belt, the marketing and the, all the staff that goes with that, mm-hmm. we're not doing anything with you guys for six months. And then, you know, three months in, they realize, oops, you know, these people all got, they've either gone to other places, can't bring them back, mm-hmm. um, can't afford to, done the budgets for that, but we can contract out and, you know, they're looking to somebody who's got the experience to do it and, and is geared up and ready to go. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. Um, well, this has been fascinating, man. I, I really appreciate you kind of running through um, the business uh, aspect of, of video production and film and, and how you got started and all that. Um, I did want to switch gears a little bit, just kind of talk about mm-hmm. just some of the uh, social issues that we've got going on. I know as, uh, as an old white guy, I don't have um, nearly the same um, outlook on things as, as you do as an African-American male. And mm-hmm. I would, I'm always looking to learn and to be an ally for better social change. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to ask you just, to, you know, just from your perspective, you know, things that you've gone through in your life, you know, what are some things that allies like myself can do to either educate myself or take action and do some things for good? Um, I, I, the thing is for an ally, I was like, because a lot of them, they, they will ask, how can they help? And I would just say research. It's like uh, the stuff that you're hearing now is the stuff that we've been saying for decades, for centuries. The stuff that we're talking about, you know, injustices, this is the same thing that my grandma, my grandparents were saying. So mm-hmm. it's just research. And, and then once you research it, then you know what questions to ask. Because now, um, to the safe, you know, sorry to say, navigating through as okay as an uh, African American male, the thing was when all these ne- networking events, I was always two things. I was always the youngest and I was always the darkest. And so I was always outnumbered and I would just, you know, that's how, how it was going up. And um, now you look at it and it's like, if I'm always, you know, if you go into a networking group and then it's always, you know, less than 10 African-Americans or less than, you know, uh, five uh, women or you know, minorities, all that stuff. Now when stuff like this happens, you become everyone's back friend. And mm-hmm. so now you're having the same conversation over and over and over again, yeah. and it's getting exhausting. And so you want to make sure, saying, "Hey, you know, if you want to ask these questions, first of all, I have to be safe enough with you to want to answer these questions." Because yeah. the thing is, when you start talking about that, it's a certain level of guilt that's going to come across, you know, uh, sure. white America. Yeah, and you don't know how to handle that guilt, and you get angry. And he was like, well, if you would have did this, this wouldn't happen. I was like, you're not listening no more. Or yeah. if you would have done it this way, or if I was you, I would have went about this way. I said, well, if you were me, you understand I can't go that way. So I have mm-hmm. to do it this way. And so it's not, it's no longer you're listening. It's now is you're, 
you being combative. You say, okay, well, or defensive, um, right? Yes, you're very, yeah. very defensive. Saying, yeah. well, only reason this happened because that happened. And I'm like, no, you're not listening anymore. Yeah, yeah. I think I think an open dialogue is is really critical. I know with um, uh, a lot of my minority friends, I've had some pretty open discussions mm-hmm. with them, and um, you know, I think there's different perspectives, and I think for for white America. And I, this is a really, really big, broad brush, but, um, you know, there's things that, for example, like the, you know, driving while black, right. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I've gotten pulled over a couple of times when I was younger, just because I looked really young. So you and I have, have the mm-hmm. same gene pool, right. Where we, we looked, I mean, I looked like I was 10 when I was driving and, uh, but at, you know, once I got beyond say 20, I wasn't getting pulled over anymore, but mm-hmm. you know, I was never pulled over cause I was white. And I, I never heard a lot of the experiences that my friends had gone through. They just didn't really talk about it. And then you start to peel the layers back and you go, wait a minute, how much does that happen? That happened to you how many times? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's eye-opening for us. And like you just said, you know, y'all, y'all have known about this for generations or centuries about what's going on. And I think as, as we can kind of, you know, come together and talk through some of these things and then take some action uh, on resolving some of these things. Obviously voting is one thing, um, but I think just looking beyond a label or a color and mm-hmm. to your own, you know, like-minded world, I think diversity is an incredible thing. I know when I've traveled the world and I start to talk to people in other countries with different cultures and religions and races, um, they're people, they're humans, just like yes. I am. have the same kind of thing going on underneath. And, you know, I think if we can remember that and treat each other with respect and then I think we can start to solve some of these problems because they're, they're, um, they're definitely ingrained into our society. And mm-hmm. it's almost like a, well, what can I do? And it's just the way it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think when you shrug your shoulders like that, nothing's going to get done. And I, I, am, I am actually encouraged about the younger generation because they are more accepting and mm-hmm. more, more willing to take action, I think, at a younger age. You know, that woke concept, right? Yes. They're... Um, my, all three of my kids are like, you know, I'm pissed off about this, or I don't understand why this is. And I can't say, yeah, I was like that when I was your age too. They're going to say, well, it was stupid. Like, why didn't you guys fix that? You know? And mm-hmm. so um, I, I am, I'm encouraged about that, but I, I, I would love to continue conversation with you, you know, not even, you know, on this podcast, but mm-hmm. just offline, because I think there's a lot that I can, I can learn and, you know, start to, you know, take action on wherever my influence might be. Yes. Yes. And, um, and the reason why, like, um, even with your kids being woke, the reason why it, I, I give a ton of credit to the internet. It's just that you can't you can't hide anymore. Mm-hmm. And so you know you used to hide certain events in textbooks, and you say, "Oh, this was this was all we growing up." And then you hear the other side of a story. It's like your whole fa- your fairy tale fables. You hear this how how it went. Then you get older, and it's like, "Oh, this came from a dark path. How did you get here?" <laughs> You know, right. that's how it is now. It's like, okay, we learned about this. You get online and you hear different stories from the side that lost, from the side that, you know, mm-hmm. was, was silenced. And so now you're able to fact check a lot of stuff that's going on and saying, okay, wait, 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 why is this really happening? You know, why yeah. do I live where I live? You know, now you start unlayering those, uh, covering those layers like, oh, so this, this is, somebody put me in a really bad spot and I didn't know it. And so now, how do I uncover that? How do I fight that back? And it's just learning and having open conversations. Because I think, like, if you have a, a very decent conversation with a lot of people, you forgot people pretty much, you know, are pretty more in common than they are are not. And mm-hmm. they pretty much want the same thing. I just want to live, you know, either you have a family, I want to raise my family, I want to be able to live where I want to live and enjoy my life. 
And please, you know, just don't hinder that what I want to do. And yeah. if you get down to that, that's pretty much what we all want. But if you're saying I can't live this certain life, my thing is here one thing before we before we wrap up. My thing is not just saying uh, white America, but America in general, we look at everything like a pie chart. And so what we think is, if I give you this, you're taking away from me, from something else. Yeah. And so if I give you a little bit here, that means where is it coming from elsewhere? Who is it coming from? Is it being a taken away? And it's not like that. This is not just dollars you know, all this time. So it's not like if I give you equal rights or if I give you a little more here, then that means I get less rights. No, we get the same. Yeah. So that's yeah. how you got to look at it. That's a really good point because, you know, that zero sum game, it's really, I think it's easy for some people to go down that road that, that, you know, if you're, if you're getting something, it's got to come from me and, and I don't want to give up anything, mm-hmm. you know, and you can slice that, you know, certainly racially, but also demographic, uh, financially, you know, oh, yes. the demographics. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, you're right. It, it doesn't have to be that way. I think there should be, you know, um, at least a, a basis that everyone can count on um, mm-hmm. be treated with respect and to not be, you know, looked at, you know, by their the color of their skin or their, their sex or, mm-hmm. you know, any other, you know, sort of category you can slice them up in. You know, I think um, you have, I think you're a really good role model, you know, as an African American minority business owner that started from nothing mm-hmm. and has really built up a business. But I look at you as just, you know, Trenton who started, you know, in film in college and man, look what he's accomplished in, you know, 15, 20 years. So, and I think when you can kind of get beyond the labels and just mm-hmm. get to the human, I think things will get a lot better. And that's how I usually try to treat everybody. So um, any final thoughts, man, before we wrap up? No, no. I think I gave you guys an earful. <laughs> <laughs> well, these t- this, fly- this flew by for me because um, yes, we've been going for a while. But listen, man, I really appreciate uh, the time. Um, thanks for kind of walking through your journey and uh, talking a little bit about, you know, film industry and, and film production and I'm going to have about 35 questions offline for you. I'll just be pinging you for the next several weeks, man. So <laughs> my apologies in advance. But. That's fine. That's fine. I'm here for it. <laughs> All right, man. Well, this, thanks again uh, for your time and uh, have a good rest of your day. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.